0: Hello and welcome back to our study of the book of Ephesians. We're glad that you could join us for this continued study. And we're going to be digging into a bit of a challenging passage here. It's one that causes us some some cha- some challenges, particularly uh, this day and age, okay? Because it deals with verses about uh, gender roles and about men and women and marriage and That's typically how these verses are are examined. And so I want to try to look at it in the context that it was written and what that means for us and what the point of this is. One of the greatest gifts we have in the process of having the Bible translated and put into forms that we can hold in our hand and study uh, is that some some wonderful, wonderful uh, scholars over the centuries, hundreds of them, have examined these words in their original language and have done a great deal of very dedicated and very detail-oriented work to try and bring them into our language. But also one of the biggest uh, challenges that has arisen from from that work is to make the Bible easier to reference, they divided the books into chapters and verses uh, and into paragraphs that are even labeled in some editions of, of Scripture. What that does uh, on the negative side is that oftentimes we break up Scripture into sections and we think of them as sections and we teach them and understand them as sections rather than an entire flowing narrative, and particularly the letters, we sometimes struggle to tie certain passages to the broader theme of the book. I often say, as I say in any, any class that I'm teaching where we're examining Scripture, this was written for us, but it was not written to us. So this is a letter written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, and he is stressing some certain points to them. And in doing so, he is making a connection between the attitude that Christians should have and how they treat one another and the relationships that exist in our life, whether that be parents and children, which we'll talk about in chapter 6, or whether it be husbands and wives. So Typically, when uh, Christians have talked about gender roles and women and men and marriage, um, they go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Um, Let's read that briefly, and then we'll talk about the context. So let's look at verse 22. Wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Now, that verse right there on its own, boy, that's kind of difficult. That's kind of troublesome. Uh, It sort of mm, causes us some discomfort because it's not exactly politically correct. Now, I understand that there's a lot of the Bible that's not politically correct. And and generally, I'm not a fan of political correctness because it's often misused as not so much an attempt to um, speak kind words or unoffensive words, but just to restrict speech that is not considered palpable for a certain segment of, of, of individuals. Um, so the political incorrectness of it, in and of itself, uh, should never be the reason that we um, look at this verse differently. What should be the reason that we see it differently is because it follows verse 21. And when it was written, it didn't have a little division, as some of your Bibles may have if you're looking at them, that says something about marriage or husbands and wives, okay? So, back up. Remember where we ended last time, where Paul is talking about how we are brought into union with God through Christ, and we ought to act like it. We ought to walk like it and talk like it and treat one another as those who have been saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And he, he talks about Speaking to one another, you know, not not being um, caught up in the 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 intoxication of the world. He he says, don't be drunk on much wine. Don't don't let something else take your mind away. Don't have yourself oriented in the wrong direction. Look to God, and don't let uh, overindulgence in the world cause you to treat one another inappropriately. But rather, speak to one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um. And then he says, verse 20, always giving thanks in all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father, and verse 21, subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ, or out of respect for Jesus. That's really the theme of Ephesians. Faith in Jesus Christ should change the way you live. So, verse 21 says, you should be subject to one another, be servants to one another, um, yield to one another, be giving of yourself to one another. Why? Out of respect for Jesus. Look at what Jesus did. Gave his life on the cross, demonstrated that leaders are servants, that greatness serves. And so because of that, out of respect for that, we treat one another in a different way. We treat one another as Jesus would treat us, and we, we establish our relationships in ways that reflect the relationship we have with Christ. If Jesus loved me, if he died for me, if he forgave me, then I ought to be willing to die, yield, give of myself to others. And I ought to be willing to love them, and I ought to be able to forgive them. I should do that because Jesus did it for me. Uh, The old hymn, Why Did My Savior Come to Earth?, And to the humble go, why choose a lowly birth? Because he loves me so. Um, He did all of these things for us. Therefore, we should be doing things for others in the same vein. So if you take verse 21, and as the original audience would have heard it or read it, they would have seen, subject yourselves to one another out of respect for Christ. Verse 22 then, wives, subject yourself to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, and et cetera. Now, I want to talk about a particular word here, but I want you to pay attention to the small words, okay? We fixate on big words. Look at the small ones. Subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord in the way you would to Jesus, okay? How would you subject or yield to Christ, Um, and uh, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. So there's some simile going on here. We have to understand that relationship to understand what that means. Now, um, let's talk about this word head. Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife. When we see that word, we English speakers would define that word as boss or ruler or someone who's in charge of something, you're the head of something. That's how our dictionaries and our thesauruses would define it. Um, But it wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek. And uh, if you were to go back and look at that word uh, in the Greek, you would find that kephala, which is the Greek word that we translate as head, doesn't mean what we say it means. Go if if you were to read this or hear it in the original language, what you would hear is that the husband is kephala of the wife, as Christ is kephala of the church, and a Greek lexicon would inform you that kephala does not mean boss or ruler; it means lover and protector. It means one who develops something. So the Christ is the lover of the church. He loves his people, his church. He protects his church and cares for his church and develops and grows that church. So the husband has a great responsibility here as the lover and protector of the wife. Uh, And and that word takes on a whole new meaning to understand um, what kephala really is and, and the instruction here. This doesn't mean that the wife is supposed to be second second class. It doesn't mean that the husband gets to boss her around and tell her what to do. And a wife being submissive or subject to her husband is not by virtue of the fact that she's a woman and he's a man and she's the wife and he's the husband. It is by virtue of the fact that Christ subjected himself on behalf of the church and the church subjects itself on behalf of Christ and we'll see that give and take and we'll see the two sides of that coin here with husbands and wives. So the wife is really being called here to be like Jesus uh, in as much as she's being called to be like uh, the church because Jesus gave his life for the church and the church gives its life, the Christians give their lives in out of respect and and in an effort to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So both sides of this are being called to a high standard in light of Jesus' sacrifice. So let's not get hung up or allow it to be misunderstood that Christians teach that women are to be in subjugation because of this word that we've translated into our English language that does not mean the same thing that the Greek language meant. So um, the wives are to subject themselves to their husbands as to the Lord with, with respect, And reverence and humility, yes. And the husband is the protector of the wife, the the lover of the wife, the developer of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. Well, Christ doesn't boss us around and talk down to us. He brings us to be with Him. We become one with Him. Let's continue looking at how this relationship is developed. Um, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject ought to be to their husbands and everything. Now, husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ also, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now, does this mean that the man saves the woman or is the savior of the woman? Well, again, we look at those small words, just as, or in the manner of, or like. Um, We're talking about a savior who demonstrated by washing the disciples' feet, that greatness, that leadership uh, comes by service. And the husband should love his wife the way Christ loved the church. In what way is that? Well, he gave his life for the church. He died so that we could be the church, so that we could be a called people, a gathered people, to come together to worship and to fellowship and to be saved, a saved people, because of what Jesus did. it wasn't a salvation by decree. It was a salvation bought with blood. That is a mighty tall order for us as husbands um to to be responsible, not for sanctifying our wives because we have the power to do that, and they are so feeble and incapable. No, it's because uh, in light of what Jesus did for us, we in turn ought to do the same in a sacrificial sense. Uh, Why did he do that? Well, he did it so that he might sanctify her, that is the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, blameless and pure, etc. This is not done to make a slave of your spouse any more than Jesus died to make us slaves to him. It's done in order that there might be union, in order that we might have, we're to glorify our wives. We're to to um, bond with our wives in this union of a marriage where the two work as one. That'll be talked about in a minute, where the two become one and they operate as one. For men, what this means is that when, when, when we walk into a room, we ought to be saying, what can I do for you? How can I help you? What do you need? Isn't that what Jesus does for us? Doesn't he love us enough to meet us where we are and say, what is it you need? Because what we needed was salvation from this ugly world. We needed to be brought into union with him. And we ought to love our wives in the same way. Uh, being, being servants as Jesus was, though he is the head, the Kefla, he did it by service. And he, he subjected himself to death on our behalf. And so husbands should look to Jesus as the example for how we're to love. Always forgiving always loving, always welcoming, and always serving our spouses. So these are not verses that tell us that God has some sort of uh, ranking of genders, men and women, uh, or some sort of hierarchy that men are the head of something. They're the boss and the women uh, you know, are the employee and they get to be treated as such. No, he says, hey, because of Jesus, you've been set free. You have been saved. Now you are Go and you treat others in the same manner. Husbands, you need to love your wives like Jesus loves the church. And wives, you ought to uh, a- allow your husband to love and protect you. And you should be faithful to him in all things. And, um, and, and be, be servants of one another. Be working to yield to one another. And to find ways to... Sub- see, subject is a hard word because we think of, of, of subjugation but to subject ourselves to one another means we, we're no longer us. When we get married, in the eyes of the Lord, you're no longer you. You're no longer the individual. The, the needs of the individual, the desires of the individual, that goes away. You change. You have to change in order to be married. You change into, into a unit, into into this this other entity that is working together to care for the needs of the other part. And I feel like we misunderstand Ephesians sometimes because we break it away from verse 21, which sets this theme or reestablishes this theme of uh, we're to be subject to one another out of respect for Jesus. Therefore, we ought to be subject to one another as husbands and wives. Uh, And he uses the church and Christ as the analogy here to, to help us understand that. In fact, I'm of the opinion, and you may, may disagree or you may agree, I'm of the opinion that marriage as a concept, which was established by God, uh, you know, we see the first man created and he says this man needs a partner and he creates a woman, and we have this relationship that's established that God designed men and women to form units. They designed men and women to come together, they're natural partners for one another. I believe the entire concept of marriage as it exists on this earth, is designed by God to help us understand our relationship to him better. When you look at the prophet Hosea, uh, his prophecy was his life story because God directed him to do some things which were fairly odd, like, hey, I want you to go find a prostitute and marry her. And he does. And then she runs off to be a prostitute again. And he says, go back and get her. And even if you have to pay for her, take her back. Uh, and this was uh, a message to Israel that God would continue to pursue them even though they had had drifted to other interests. But it's also, I believe, a message about Jesus and how he would come and rescue us even though we were faithless at times. And I further believe that that uh, story being told through the, the concept of a marriage reflects, at least in my mind, that marriage itself is designed as an analogy, that the greatest benefit, the greatest fulfillment in marriage is having a relationship that informs you about God's love. That if your marriage reflects the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ, then that is the height of what a marriage can and should be. And uh, I think here Paul reflects that very thing by explaining to us that as all Christians should be subject to one another, caring first for the needs of others before yourself, um, that that translates perfectly into marriage as well. Wives, you should be subject in the same way the church is to Jesus. Understanding, um, and and there there are some cultural things in there as well, but but um, a, allowing that husband to be the protector and the lover and the developer. And husbands, you have an obligation as Christ to be willing to do anything to meet the needs of your spouse. Uh, Verse 28, So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. So because in a spiritual sense it is. You're a unit. You're part of one another. So I think of it this way. Look, there are some things I've learned in marriage. I've learned that my wife and I see things differently sometimes. We often have different needs. Uh, We like to do things differently. Whether it's keeping house or raising kids, sometimes we have different preferences. And I learned in the early years of marriage, hey, uh, she likes this thing this way, so when I don't do it that way, that causes some some friction. So I'm going to start doing it that way. Now, initially, I did that because I didn't want that friction, right? And now I like to think that I've developed an attitude of I'm going to do it that way not simply to avoid the friction. I'm going to do it that way because I want it that way. I want it that way because she wants it that way and we're the same person. We're the same person. Yeah, we have our individuality and we have our parts of life that are our own, but, but we are one unit and I make decisions or I should make decisions based on whether or not that's what meets the needs of my partner because meeting her needs is meeting my needs. That's the way it's described here. I should love her like I love my own self, like I love my own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are parts of his body. So again, we come into union with Christ. We are one with Christ. He loves us and we love him because we're one in the same when we become Christians. Husbands and wives should love one another and serve one another because they're doing that for themselves ultimately because you've joined together. You've become one um, because we are parts of his body. Verse 30, for this reason, verse 31, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great verse thirty two but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Well, there you go. We make this about marriage counseling or about the roles of husbands and wives and paul is saying i'm 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 using this to explain to you how you should treat one another because of Jesus. This is not just God's arbitrary preference about what women should do and what men should do. This is paul's explanation of who we are to Christ and who Uh, he is to us, seen through the lens of marriage, because that's what we understand. And it's really hard to conceptualize what we are to Christ and what he is to us. It's this nebulous spiritual thing sometimes we have to try and put into words and to understand. And Paul says, this mystery is great. This is hard stuff to understand. So I'm telling you this, not as instruction about marriage, though it is, but as something that is understandable to us in our context through which we can understand Jesus better. So while I think it's very worthwhile instruction for husbands and wives, we, we kind of dig into it separated from the larger theme of the letter and we miss a lot of great stuff here. Um, this, you know, wives shouldn't just be subservient to husbands and they should not rule their home with the iron fist. That is not what being the head of anything means in the Greek. And that is not what Paul was trying to convey. He says in his own words that I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. That's what I'm talking about. Christians, how they treat one another. And that's, a, and I mean, your Christianity doesn't stop at your front door. If you want to treat people the way Christ treated them, if you want to be more Christ-like, that begins at home. It begins with your attitudes of service, your attitudes of forgiveness and grace and love to your spouse. And the wife, uh, excuse me, uh, nevertheless, verse 33, um, and th- this is great because he says, hey, th- I- I'm making this analogy to inform you about Jesus and the church. However, verse 33, nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband should love his own wife the same as himself, and each m- wife- and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Okay, so he, he says, hey, you Christians should treat each other a certain way because of Jesus. And that extends into the home. It definitely extends into the home. Husbands and wives, here's how you should think of your relationship to one another in light of Christ. And then he has this little aside at the end. He says, look, I'm making an analogy about Jesus and the church using husbands and wives. However, it is still good instruction. Love one another. Care for one another. Look after one another. Well, we are nearing the final chapter of Ephesians. And we're going to get into some very similar territory here. Some things, including one very important one, that caused some people some problems with Paul because of what he has to say about some social things going on at the time. We're going to dig into that, and I hope that this has been a good kind of way to prepare for that because we're going to look at them in much the same way as we deal with the questions of children and parents And slaves and masters, something that is not exactly friendly territory, uh, something that our culture and our world has long moved past thinking acceptable. Uh, And yet it was a reality then, and he deals with it, but he doesn't deal with it with the mind to uh, overcome what was a societal fact. He deals with it in the manner of understanding that Jesus is Lord, And what is our relationship to him? Because of Christ, we live differently. That's the theme. And that is the theme going into chapter 6. Much as it was with husbands and wives, it will also be with these other groups that we're going to talk about. Remember, it's not about giving instruction for those particular groups. It's about understanding Jesus better and understanding ourselves better by looking at those relationships and how they ought to be changed by Christ. So until then, thank you very much for joining us and for listening, and we'll see you next time.